please stand for the reading of God's word from Jeremiah chapter 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law in them. I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each teach his neighbor and each one his neighbor, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin. No more. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Thank you, Sam. Well, for those of you I don't know, uh, my name is Andrew. I'm the campus pastor here at the Leewood campus. And I know I've said this probably a a couple times uh, already, uh, so forgive me. But um, I, uh, I actually didn't become a Christian until I was 18 years old. It was later in life. And uh, it took a lot of uh, reading and conversation and, frankly, just argument with people uh, before I was actually ready to make that commitment in, in my own life. And I remember, here's why I bring that up, I remember distinctly an argument uh, I was in with a friend who did believe, I, I didn't, um, about God. I remember uh, this was not too long before I actually, you know, finally caved in and, and actually became a Christian. I, I was... Um, ranting to him about how faith was so implausible and belief in God was just ridiculous. And uh, my friend said, okay, just stop. Tell me um, who, who you think God is. This God that you're rejecting, that you don't think exists, who, tell me who you think he is. And so I, you know, this was an open door for me. So I, I, uh, <laughs> I said, I, I will tell you. And I basically, I just started, I, I basically just kind of rehearsed, you know, every everything you, you could possibly say bad about God that you kind of hear in the, the cultural conversation in some ways. You know, the, the, the God in the Bible, he's judgmental, he's capricious, excuse me, he hates people, he's genocidal, he's sexist, and he's racist, and I just kept going on and on and on and on. Here's why I can't possibly believe in your God. That's what I said, and I was like panting by the end. I just I just. <laughs> And he said to me, he said back to me, okay, I don't believe in that God either. And he said, make sure before you reject God, make sure you know who he is. Who is he really? And it was obvious to him, to my friend, that I had no idea who God was. And yet I was rejecting a caricature of him that wasn't real. I didn't know God at all. And, and, and I bring that up. This isn't just a problem or an issue for uh, those of us, those of you who may be struggling with faith in God, you, you don't really know where you stand. It's not, but it's, I think it's a problem for all of us at certain times. Uh, even in the church, among God's people, many of us simply don't know who God is. Or there are moments in our lives where our actions betray that we haven't internalized that. We don't really know who he is. We think we know who he is. We might be able to say who, who he is, but we really don't know. And I think that's at least part of the reason why life is overwhelming to us sometimes when we get angry or confused and discouraged by life and perhaps even by what God is doing is because we don't really know him 
And our, our text this morning uh, in Jeremiah says to us, not only can we know God, which is important, but we must know him. We must. And throughout this series, we've been talking about how hard and overwhelming life can be. We've titled it, uh, Life a Task Too Big for Us. And we've kind of used Jeremiah's life and his teaching as the case study, the, the, the example of that for why life can be so overwhelming. And we've talked about how to deal with doubt and how to deal with suffering. We've talked about how to pray to God during those times. Uh, we also talked about last week um, how, how to love the city God has put us in. Tom talked about that last Sunday. But here today, and I, I don't think this is an overstatement, here today I think we come to the fundamental problem that God is addressing in Jeremiah and in, in his people. And if we don't get this, this right, okay, nothing else we have learned so far matters. It doesn't matter. We have to get this right. We can know God. We must know God. And, or life will eat us alive. I believe that. So how, how do we know him? Okay, if you brought your Bible, uh, pull it out. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 31. We're going to be starting in verse 31. While you're doing that, let me just catch you up a little bit. If, if you've been with us in this series for the last several weeks, you know Jeremiah has been preaching now for a long time, decades. And as we've said throughout uh, the series, the, the main content of Jeremiah's preaching um, was basically that God's people would be taken into exile because of their rebellion and their idolatry. So his, his message was, was a warning, and it was a warning to repent. And now that's happened. God's people are in exile. And last week, Tom talked about how Jeremiah was now preaching to exiles who live in Babylon. That was last week's sermon. So all that to say, most of Jeremiah, all of Jeremiah's sermons were really, really hard. <laughs> and Jeremiah, I just think as a preacher, has been waiting for a good sermon his entire life. He just hasn't had one. He's been preaching repent and judgment and warning for over and over and over again. And, but, but starting in chapter 30 of Jeremiah, just to give you context of where we are, um, it's, this is the, the, the Lord gives Jeremiah what's, what's called the book of comfort or the book of consolation. It's chapters 30 to 33. There's a, there's a tonal change in Jeremiah's preaching and God's word to him. And at the heart of that consolation is our verses today. It's chapter 31, verse 31 to 34. Okay, this section right here, it's, and I'm going to read it again in just a minute, is one of the most important passages in the whole Bible. It's the longest Old Testament passage to be quoted in the New Testament verbatim, word for word. This, this passage, just, it's just right there. And it's because in this passage, God says, here's how my people can know me again. Here's how. So listen with me one more time. Verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them into the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. And I'll write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So the first thing here, how do we know God? The first thing here you see, it's, it's the first image you get in this whole 
uh, scripture is that you have to have a covenant to know God. You have to, you cannot know God without a covenant. You cannot know God without a covenant. And Jeremiah is picking up on a theme here that you see throughout the whole Bible. What you see throughout the whole Bible is whenever God (laughs) relates to someone, whoever it is, it's through a covenant. You see back in uh, the beginning, Adam and, Adam and Eve. God makes Adam and Eve and he doesn't just say, go do whatever you want. He says, okay, now here's the relationship. Here's what you do, here's what I do. When he rescues Israel from Egypt through Moses, he gives them a covenant. Ten commandments, right? You, you, maybe you know that story. When Jesus shows up in the New Testament, there's language of, of a covenant. Even there, you cannot know God without a covenant. Now, why does that matter? Why is that important? Some of you are already bored. You're like, what's a covenant? I don't care. Um, here's why. If you are bored, here's why. Or if you're confused, here's why. Uh, it's because uh, we don't talk about covenants a whole lot anymore. Covenantal relationships, which I'll describe to you in, in a minute, are not nearly as intuitive or strong as they used to be in our, in our society, in our culture. Uh, we are much more formed by and we think through a lens of a consumer, not, not a covenant, and I'll, I'll explain that in just a minute. But listen, this isn't uh, uh, nearly as abstract as it sounds. It's not. Actually, God, we get a hint of what a covenant is, an image of what a covenant is, actually right here in, in, in verse 32. God's talking about the covenant that he made through Moses, and he says, when I took them by the hand, led them out of Egypt, they broke my covenant, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband. Okay, there's an image there of what a covenant is. So covenants are like a marriage. They're a specific kind of relationship. They create a specific kind of relationship. They're needed. Covenants are needed. They're necessary, in fact, for our most intimate relationships. You don't, you, you, you say, you don't say vows, I don't think. I don't say vows to my dentist because that's not how I relate to my, my dentist, right? It's not, it's not an intimate relationship. But with your spouse, it's a covenant. You promise something to each other. You say vows to your spouse. You commit yourself wholeheartedly to your spouse in such a way that your freedom and your actions are restricted. Uh, You're no longer your own. You belong to another and they belong to you. The The way you live from that moment on is radically changed, okay? Covenants are incredibly intimate. They form very intimate relationships are the basis of very intimate relationships. They are also uh, very um, powerful relationships. Important. They're so important, in fact, that they're, they're often legally binding. This idea of covenant actually has a legal aspect to it. They're so important. The stakes are so high. They're so critical to life that the law actually gets involved. There's consequences in covenant relationships. Now, as a culture, uh, that part of the marriage covenant has weakened over time. There was a time where you couldn't divorce each other for just any reason. Uh, that times have changed a little bit there. So l- let me give you a different example. So think about your relationship. If you have children, think about your relationship with your children. Now you probably didn't say vows to your children in the hospital, but if you dedicated them here on a Sunday morning, you did. There's a reason for that. It's a covenant relationship. You didn't say vows to them, but you are not allowed to abandon your children no matter how inconvenient they are to you, right? If you do, there are legal, it's not just a moral consequence, there's a legal consequence. 
The law gets involved, right? The relationship is too important for your preferences or your moods to matter. They don't matter. You can't say, well, officer, they were being, my child was being mean to me. Doesn't matter. This is a covenant. Doesn't matter what your preferences are. So these covenants, are, they're, they're intimate they're very, and they're very powerful. They create a very specific kind of relationship. Our most important relationships are covenants. And this is how God says he wants to relate to you. That's the big takeaway here. God says, I want a covenant with you, with my people. Like a father and children, like a husband and wife, like a friend to a friend, like a king to his people. Okay, all of these images are wrapped up in this idea of covenant. And suddenly when you understand that this is what God wants from you and he wants that kind of relationship, you begin to understand why God is so upset with Israel and her sin and her disobedience throughout the book of Jeremiah. Now you begin to understand. See, now God is not a principal. He's not an administrator with a set of rules that he's watching people to make sure you, he does not, not at all how he wants to relate to you. He is a husband who's been cheated on. That's what sin really is. If we are understanding a covenant correctly. He is a, he is a father who's been betrayed and abandoned by his own children. He's a friend who's been stabbed in the back by another friend. See, now for God, this covenant, the stakes for him could not be higher. See, now God is not primarily after your obedience. Obedience is a byproduct of something else. He wants your love and affection. He wants a covenant. He wants a a kind of relationship with you. He wants a covenant with you. And so my question is, Do you know God wants that with you? Do you know that? Do you live like that? Do you understand that to really know God, to really know him, you have to commit to him like this? You know, this is part of Israel's problem. If you've been with us in this series in Jeremiah, Israel gets it wrong all the time. A big reason for that is they approach God like a consumer, not a covenant. They say, God, well, we want you on Saturday to worship you. And then on, Mo- on then Sunday, the rest of the week, we are going to go out and do whatever we want. We're going to worship other gods. We're going to trample on the poor. And Jeremiah has preached on that specifically throughout his book. Do we do that? Do we say to God, I want you on Sunday, God, and then, and then nothing else? I, Monday, and Saturday, Monday to Saturday, that's mine. Do we abandon God when he says something we don't like? or that our culture finds offensive? Do we treat him like a a cell phone plan? (laughs) Hey, the second this doesn't meet my needs at the cost that I want, I'm gonna find another one. God, this relationship doesn't work anymore. You're not doing what I need you to do, so I'm gonna find a deity elsewhere. (laughs) Do we we treat him like that? The thing is, even if we try to relate to God this way, not only will will we not know him, we'll never know him. If you're in a relationship with God like this, God, meet my needs, not only do you not really know who he is, you don't. You'll never know who he is. You you can't relate to God this way. You can't just date God. You've either got to marry him or you've got to move on. And when you marry him, you can't see other people. That's not how God works. That's not what he wants from you. And for those of you maybe who are here and you're not, you're, in, you're, you're unsure what you think about God, that's okay. 
but you can't keep God in the friend zone forever. It doesn't work. You'll never know him that way. You can't. It's not how it works. Now, here's the really hard news. Wherever you are there, here's the hard news for all of us. And and God hints at it here. Here it is. Even under the best of circumstances, okay, even if you really want to know God, you think you do, and you're okay with committing to his law, like, I can try to do that. I can try to keep this relationship. Even if you're ready to say, God, let's work on our our relationship. I know it's not perfect. (laughs) But let's work on this together. You can't. It doesn't work. The covenant doesn't work. Israel's broken the covenant. After decades of preaching repentance, Jeremiah now truly understands this isn't working. Your people, God, are still not coming to you. Israel made commitments to God, like in a marriage. They really did. That's the picture in the Old Testament. They have not kept a single one. Not one. And and neither have we. And the covenant God wants with you and with me and with all people, it's not working. Which is why in this passage, if if you listen carefully, this is why this Jeremiah sermon is is finally a good sermon. It's good news. Because Jeremiah is saying, God is saying to us, his people, there's a new covenant coming. A new one. God's doing something new. It's a relationship that we can actually keep. We can actually know who God is. But one of the key features of this new covenant is that God has to do the work in us. God has to do the work. You cannot know God unless he does the work in this new covenant. God says, I'm making a new covenant. And he makes basically three promises. God says, I'm going to do three things in this new relationship with my people that are going to be different from the old. A new way of relating. Okay, and I want you to pay attention to these because if you... Wrapped up in these three things, truly, is the essence of the Christian life. If you want to know what it is to be a Christian, if you want to know what it is to, to know God, okay, this, this is how. This is, the, this is what God has to do, okay? So first God says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give them a new heart. As a part of my new covenant, I'm going to give them a new heart. You see that in verse 33. I'll put my law within them and I'll write it on their hearts. Now notice it doesn't say, I'm going to take my law, my expectations for the relationship and I'm going to put them away. And that's the promise. I'm, just, I'm not going to think about it anymore. I love them so much, I'm just going to ignore everything. That's not his promise. He says, I'm going to put it within you. I'm going to make them want the law. To want that way of life. And you begin, if, you, if you unpack that, you begin to see that one of the fundamental problems with the old covenant, the old way of relating to God, is that none of us, if we're really honest, actually want to know or obey him. We don't want to. Our hearts are, are just fundamentally bent away from him. And even our best efforts to obey or to get close to him actually push us away. We do them for the wrong reasons. We do them for selfish reasons. And it's like a quicksand. It's like the harder you struggle to make this work, the further away you sink. And so God says, I'm going to give them a heart that wants to obey me and follow me and know me. And most of us, I think, if we really analyze, okay, how do we relate to God? Most of us, we either do it out of some sense of fear or obligation. 
Like, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a decent person um, so that you'll leave me alone or so that I'll get to heaven because that's what I really want. I'm just going to get out of jail freak. I'm going to do my best. God, I know your law says I shouldn't lust. I like, but, you know, and, and but that's, you know, that's the price I got to pay to get to heaven. I don't want to do that, but I'm going to do it because it's the price you got to pay. Whether relate to him like that or we relate to him to manipulate him. We obey to manipulate. Okay, God, I did this. What are you going to do? How are you going to pay me back for that? Are you paying attention? When something bad happens, God, how could you? Because I'm, I do this. I do everything right. How could you do that to me? We relate to him one of those two ways. Neither of those is a covenant. God says, I'm going to give you a heart that will want to obey for a very different motivation. Okay, think about it. In the, in the healthiest relationships, in the healthiest marriages, or just any, any intense relationship, we don't submit to one another out of fear, obligation, or manipulation. Not, not in the healthy expressions of it, right? We do it because we want to. Because that's what love actually is. Love is actually doing what, the other, what is good for the other. Not out of compulsion, because you want to. God says, I want them to want me like that. They'll know me. They'll want to follow me. That's the first thing God says he's going to do. He's going to give you a new heart. The second is, he's going to give you a new access to him. A new intimacy is maybe another way of putting it. A new access. He says, I'll be their God. They'll be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest. God's saying, they'll, they'll all have direct access to me. I will be their God and they will be my people. Now, in the Old Covenant, you, you, it's hard for us to understand this, but in the Old Covenant, if you read the Old Testament, you needed a mediator to know God, to, to get close to him at all. You needed a priest, you needed a sacrifice, you needed a temple to know him. You couldn't just relate to God. There are all these mediators that you had to go through because of sin and disobedience is, is, is the idea. But here God says, I will make a way for anyone who wants to know me to know me. Anyone, at any time. They don't need a pastor. They don't need a priest. They don't need a temple. They don't need a sacrifice. I'm going to take care of that stuff. Every one of you, if you want it, has direct access to me, says God. And finally, God says, I'm going to do a third thing. I'm going to give them a new forgiveness, a new kind of forgiveness. I'll forgive their iniquity and I'll remember their sin no more. Is how that ends. This, and I, this, I think, is the linchpin for everything else. How will we love God and have access to him even though we're an absolute mess? God says, well, I'm going to take care of every wrong you've ever done, every wrong you want to do, and every wrong you will do in your life. I'll forgive and I will remember no more. It will not affect our relationship if you allow me to do that for you. Now, as a, if you're a believer here, if you've been in church for a while, uh, we read these verses often. We say, that's great, and we keep going. I want, to, I want you to think about what that promise means. That's a lot of sin. sin and, and maybe sin's not the right. That's a lot of pain we have caused God. If he wants to relate to you like a father, like a husband, like a friend, every time you disobey him, what are you doing? Right? You're not just disobeying. You're, you're inflicting pain. Aren't you? Isn't that how it works with us? 
So think of all the times in your own life that you've, with someone you love or you care about, when you've wronged them or cheated on them or betrayed them or lied to them or abandoned them or said the wrong thing or done the wrong, think of all those things. Those are just the things you can remember. Now multiply that by every human being who's ever lived. And now you're beginning to understand the audacity of God's promise, I will forgive that, all of it. I will forgive. He says, I'll forgive their iniquity and remember that sin no more. Despite all of it, I will, God says, I will say over your life, you are mine, you're mine. And nothing can take you away, not even you. God wants you, I, hope, I want you to get this. God wants to know you so badly this way. He will do all the work to make it possible. <laughs> he says, I will give you a new heart. I will give you a new way. I will give you a new forgiveness. And he says, he says to Jeremiah, he gives Jeremiah this word, this promise, the days are coming when I will relate to my people like this. The question is how? How is he gonna do all that? And even Jeremiah doesn't really know the answer to that question doesn't really see, and this, and this is our most important point. Jeremiah is pointing forward to this moment, and here it is. You can't know God without Jesus. You cannot know God without Jesus. Okay, the New Testament, that back half of your Bible, uh, could easily be called the New Covenant. That's what it describes, the New Covenant. Uh, Jeremiah didn't know it, but God's giving him a sneak peek here into that New Covenant, and th- this is why, and I can't do a whole other sermon on, the, on that, but here, here's, here's an example. This is why Jesus, on the night he's betrayed, the night before he dies on the cross, he's having dinner with his friends, and he says, this is bread, is my body broken for you, and he says, this cup of my blood is a cup of a new covenant. It's a new covenant that I do. He says, when you see me on the cross dying for you, this is for a new covenant with you. When you see his body broken and his blood shed for you, you you begin to understand that's a marriage vow God is making to you, whether you accept it or not. God is saying on the cross, it's like, we don't think of it this way, but it's like God's getting down on one knee in the crucifixion. And he's saying, I will be your God forever. Will you be my people? And when you accept that on your behalf, you you begin to obey God for a very different reason. You do it for love. So how do we get a new intimacy? See, that's how we get a new heart. God transforms our hearts when we see Jesus dying for us on the cross. Transforms our motivation for how we relate to God. How do we get a new intimacy with God? Well, Jesus is our mediator. He says, to know me is to know God. You have access to me. How are we forgiven? Jesus obeys the covenant that none of us could keep. He lives a perfect, sinless human life and dies a death for our, the disobedience on our behalf. He pays the price for a new covenant to even be possible. He doesn't ignore our brokenness. He pays for it. That's how we get this new forgiveness. And amazing, as amazing as all this is, and all of it could be yours and more, you have to respond. You have to respond to this. You, you cannot leave this morning, okay, and think, what a lovely scripture, and walk away. You cannot do that. 
You have to respond. It's a covenant. So first, how do we respond? The first way you respond to this is you receive it. You receive God's love. If we take this seriously, that God did all the work and Jesus made this covenant possible, then we have to know that the worst thing we can do to God is not disobey him. That is not the worst thing you can do to God. The worst thing you can do to him is to reject his offer of love over your life. To say no. Okay, I'm not, this is not about attending church or being a decent person. That is not saying yes to this covenant. This is about telling God directly, God, I need a new heart. I need you to rescue me from myself. I need a new covenant with you. And if you walk away from this, there is nothing else God can do for you. He made the first move. He's all in. But you have to receive this. You have to say yes to this. If, if, you, if you leave this on the table, you are still in a broken covenant with God and you'll never know him. And you'll never know the life he wants for you. Never. Have you ever, have you ever said a marriage vow to God? I guess that's what I'm getting at. Have you ever done that before? Have you ever said something like, God, come hell or high water, come in my faith and in my doubt and in my failure and my success and my sickness and my health, when I'm happy with you, when I'm angry with you, when I'm disappointed in you, no matter what, I'm with you. Okay, have you said yes to him like that? Ever. Okay, you have to receive this. You have to say yes to it. And you have to commit to it. That's the second thing. You have to commit to his love. You have to receive his love. And you have to commit to it. This is not a one-time deal. This is not a get-out-of-jail-free card. This is a marriage that you're signing up for. With all the messiness and the hard work that go into that. You have to spend time getting to know God. You have to actually commit to spending time with him. For many of us, that's difficult. We're, we're busy. There's obstacles in the way of that, right? Let me just give you an analogy. What if, what if you looked at your spouse or your close friend and said, I love you so much. I'm gonna, I, this is how much I love you. I'm going to spend one hour with you a week on Sunday. And throughout the, but throughout the rest of the week, I don't have time to think about you or talk to you. Um, Right, you better get a lawyer if you're going to do that. It's not going to. It's not going to work. It doesn't work. You got to know him, and one of the ways you do that is through his word. He's given you his word to know him. You spend time in his word. You pray to him. We had several sermons on on, on prayer in the series. I invite you to check one of those out. We give him our hard work and our discipline, just like any relationship. It takes work. He's writing the law, the law on your heart, absolutely. But but it's a partnership. You have to keep committing to him. You, you, and over time, what you will find is that obedience is no longer a burden. There are different areas of your life that will be harder for that to work itself out in. We're all wired differently there. But what you'll find is over time, it's not a burden to obey. You'll find that the law is already on your heart. It's already there. You'll stop reading, for example, you'll stop reading the teaching of Jesus saying, gosh, how am I going to do that? I don't want to do that. You'll start reading it as, how, why, would anyone not, why would anyone live differently? This is the only way to live. This is the perfect way to be. Okay, the law is already there on your heart. You don't obey begrudgingly, or, or, but because you can't imagine any other way. That's a sign of a covenant working itself out in your heart. 
And finally, uh, and, and maybe most importantly, we, we celebrate God's love. You have, to, you have to worship. Some of us aren't very good at this. We have to worship God, respond to his love. So we worship. We say back to God everything we love about him. And we, we should be doing that personally, individually. Okay, when you spend time with God, you ever tell him what you love about him? You ever th- just thank him? Daily, thank him for who he is and what he's done. If you don't do that, okay, maybe you don't understand what this covenant is, what he's accomplished. We worship him. And we, we worship him corporately, together. That's what Sunday morning is for. That's why we sing together. Okay, think of it this way. Your worship of God, both alone and together, is not unlike a bride whispering sweet nothings to her husband. It's, it's that kind of relationship. It's that kind of intimacy with God. Yes, we come to church to learn and to study. Those are good, but the, all is under the umbrella of worship. We worship God. We celebrate this covenant that he's made. That's our response. And I, rather than just tell you more about this, I, w- <clears throat> I want you to see an example <clears throat> of the church at worship. Okay, this is an ancient picture here. Okay, this is, this, Christians have been doing this for 2,000 years. And it's, it's a symbol, and it's a, it's a sign to our senses, our eyes and our ears of what God has done in the covenant for us. It reminds us, this, this picture of worship, that entering this covenant is a little bit like drowning. And that we're dead, and that we're buried with Christ, and that with all of the, the shame and disappointment and, and, and failure that goes with that. But at the same time, remembering with Jesus, we do not stay dead. We emerge victorious with him, washed clean in a new covenant with a new heart.